0: This is Chris Roth here with Bushido's Pro with your weekly Knock Activism wrap up. Today we're going to be talking about some updates relating to the City Council races for 2020. Uh, some updates also on a housing battle that's been waged in Venice over the last. Oh, what year and a half at this point, as and and yeah, and then it it, it it uh culminated in some stuff in Sacramento, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, and then uh, we're going to also be talking back about the Lasa leadership change that we've mentioned in the past, but didn't really go into too much detail on. Um, uh, some interesting options that are apparently going to be pursued out of City Hall relating to affordable housing. Uh, A quick update on the uh, Santa Monica anti-Trump protest from back in October that we covered before. And our friend Junk, who is back in the news again uh, as of yesterday. So it's kind of fun. We're actually back here in the Ground Game LA studio uh, recording uh, for the first time in a while. And it's kinda of fun to get to have a headphone on both ears and, and hear hear myself in uh you know, in a binaural sense instead of just off of one ear with uh with a headphone what? in the phone the other side.
1: Well, since I have to now like sit across the table from you, I can no longer imagine you in your first sona. So there there are positives and negatives to it.
0: Sorry to disappoint you on that one.
1: But yeah, no, it's uh, it's been interesting being back in LA. Uh, last week we mentioned the climate strikes, obviously on December sixth, yeah. uh, which was a week ago from when we're recording because today is Spooky Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, and the last one of the year, so
0: hey. <laughs> that's what happens yeah. in December. Exactly, it's weird. <laughs> uh, but 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 Bushido, is it the last one of the decade?
1: No, because the decade doesn't end <laughs> until 2021. Like, if anybody says that this is the end of the decade, uh, they're wrong. There was no year zero. <laughs> Remember, it goes from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. But anyways, before I get caught up in my pedantry. Uh, yeah, so last Friday we did the climate strike in Phoenix. There were 3,000 actions across the globe. Uh, some of them were huge. Some of them were kind of small. Uh, in Phoenix, we got about 50 or so people. We did a sit-in at City Hall, which was the first time that's ever been done in Phoenix City Hall. So that was pretty wow. cool. Um Generally a decent reception there was just so many freaking cops there it was just like and with very little to do there's only 50 of us uh but it was a really good turnout for the folks that like did show up really committed really activated crowd uh I was really happy to see them I rolled from that over uh to LA I did some door knocking uh Sunday morning for Nithia out in Hollywood Yo. uh which was really good got a really good reception um I've become a master of getting into apartment buildings, um, which is always fun because yeah, you'll get I mean, like the I'll one person me. who's like, "How did you get in here?" And you're
0: like, I, you know, it just magic. the door was left yeah. open. That's all no, we'll I, say. I,
1: you know, I, there was one, there was one unfortunate one where like I got a guy on the phone. I was like, uh, Amazon. You know, and hoping he would just let me in. He's like, "Oh, I, I, I'm not at home. I don't have a way to buzz you in." I was like, "Crap!" I just have to, like, hang
0: up. And- <laughs> Hit nine, man. Hit nine. Yeah.
1: So it was, uh, it was good though. And Nithya's campaign is doing really well. She came in and sat down uh, with me for an interview, so we're gonna be having that uh, coming up pretty soon. Uh, and yeah, that's all gonna keep kind of rolling through. Yep. Uh, it's been. Uh, An interesting week with the Tories in the UK, which is not Uh, cool. Uh, That was not fun. Not totally unexpected, but that's definitely not trending well. So, uh, yeah, hard Brexit uh, with a side of Scottish independence and a possible Irish Civil War. uh, Yeah, and
0: an auctioning off of the NHS. This is just what we get to see going over on the other side of the pond in the coming years.
1: They're going to be like a little mini America. But let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about what's happening here because uh, the... Uh, ballots for the March 3rd primary are finalized. All of the candidates that will be on them have filed and either been qualified for the ballots or uh, filed their signatures and been told you don't have enough, you're not getting on the ballot. So let's talk about the LA City Council races, because covering the entire California ballot is way, way too much. But Interesting things shaking down in the even-numbered districts here in LA. Yeah,
0: so they, they actually haven't announced what's going to be happening when it comes to state level and congressional races just yet. But the city council races, uh, the the Los Angeles City Clerk does release the information relating to the signature gathering uh, because you actually are required to gather a minimum of what it's five hundred signatures.
1: No, I think three hundred. Uh, oh, th- is it three hundred? Yeah, it's fine? something. It's not super high. Yeah, it's, it's not less a huge than you number. need to get onto the ballot. Like yeah. you just have to have those signatures. And then you can uh, pay the rest of the way if you want.
0: Yeah. So anyway, the 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 deadline was this past Tuesday for filing all of those signatures away and getting a, a response back from the city clerk that was supposed to tell you that you had either gathered sufficient signatures or had not gathered sufficient signatures. And uh, that's that's leading to some very interesting uh, results. So. What we're looking at here is that the certain, certain districts are going to have uh, a lot more options to choose from for voters than others. So there are going to be five qualified candidates in CD10 and CD14, leaving these races wide open for a lot of uh, contention. Uh, of course, uh, Mark Ridley-Thomas is going to be the heavyweight over in CD10. And uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on what's going on with that one. Um, there, there are some rumors flying around, but we are not going to get into that right <laughs> now. Uh, CD14 uh, also has, again, those five candidates. At the top of the list, we've got Kevin DeLeon and Monica Garcia as the two heavyweights in that particular race. But uh, there are still another three other candidates that are going to be uh, challenging them. And you know, some of them are going to be pretty progressive from the looks of things. So it's going to be interesting to see how those all shape out. Um, there are three candidates each who qualified in CD2, four, and six. Um, And it's going to be... A pretty long and bitter campaign, by the looks of things, because this means that they, you know, there are only two other candidates for them to focus on, and there will be the runoff coming out of March, where uh, it doesn't matter how. Actually, no, for the for the city council races, if you can get 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 more than fifty,
1: yeah, yeah, but the chances of you doing that with three three big candidates in mm -hmm. a race is like small. And also, uh, I believe all three of those districts have incumbents because Nuri's running again in six. Ryu's running again in, in four. four, yeah, and then uh, Kirkorian in uh, District Two. Uh, so big incumbents in the races, especially with Nuri in six because she just got elected the city council, city president, council president. So yeah. kind of high stakes for uh, for that one.
0: Yeah, so it's gonna be really interesting to see how that one all, how those all shape up. Um, again, it's probably going to end up being a bit more of a bitter contestation than in 10 and 14 just because yeah. of the the number of candidates that you got to spread everything around in those, uh, those two. Um, what's going to be very interesting to see is that uh, City Council District 12 uh, with Lorraine Lundquist and John Lee, there was a third challenger who was trying to get onto the ballot but did not turn in a sufficient number of signatures yep. and has been disqualified, which means – that the race in November isn't going to happen. It all comes down to which of these two candidates takes the most votes in March, which is going to be potentially a huge... Uh, thing. It's gonna be. It, this is a, a potentially it's very a advantageous yeah, process. The, yeah, for Lorraine because it is the, the the presidential primary for the state of California, uh, and it seems unlikely that a lot of Republicans are gonna bother turning out to vote. Um, unless they decide to all change their party registration to Democrat to try to weigh in as to who they well, think I mean, is the best presidential well, candidate. No, but they'll still be Trump.
1: they'll still be showing up to vote for the other primaries, yes. but there's just not going to be as big a draw because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not voting on a, a presidential endorsement. There'll be more reason for Democrats to come out. But Correct. this is also in stark contrast to the last time we ran this primary yeah. when there was Nothing. 14 candidates. Oh, in the first one, In the yeah, special election, yeah. The first, election, round. Yes, yeah, yes, the first yes. round, there was 14 candidates was who run. It was Absolutely nuts! Everyone threw in. Uh, I'm kind of surprised a couple of them didn't try and make the that play again. Um, but I guess like since uh, John Lee and Lorraine Lundquist like dominated the Absolutely field last dominated. time, uh, everyone else I think got the message there is just <laughs> no support out there for anyone other than these two candidates. Yes. So yeah, that one I'm kind of like I I think this one bodes well for Lorraine. I don't think that John Lee. Holds on to his seat unless something drastic happens just because the amount of Democrats coming out to vote and like you don't have to like it, it's a nonpartisan race. So it doesn't Correct. put your party affiliation. But like you could run ads saying Lorraine Lundquist is a registered Democrat. Yeah. And and that would kind of get the message across. Most likely, so, so yes. Yeah. Well. Well. I guess we'll just kind of wait and see on that one. But CD12 is. I'll be happy when we finally can take that off the docket. Like, yeah. When we don't have to talk about it I, anymore. I would.
0: I would love to see John Lee just sitting at the horseshoe as a lame duck uh, city council member, fulfilling the finality of what. So he would be basically serving a single year yep. uh, after having been chief of staff under uh, the previous. The other Mitch that had been on in uh, city council. Anyway, yeah. uh, so the that leaves just one city council race left to discuss, and that is City Council District 8. Uh, there's one qualified candidate. So Marquise Harris-Dawson is literally the only person who qualified to get onto the ballot for CD8, which means that all he has to do is get you know a couple of hundred people to vote for him, And then he just coasts on by Um, and this is really great news for him. And it may explain why it is that he seems to be caught napping so frequently at the horseshoe, yeah, uh, because, you know, this shit is on lock, and he knows it. And uh, I mean, it's really and he's depressing. he's
1: got his hands in enough developer oh, yeah. pots. like he doesn't oh, yeah. have to worry about it. Like even if he lost his seat or, like, you know, napped all the way to the end of his term, <laughs> he's still walking into a cushy consulting gig. Yes. He has nothing to worry about. Uh, I believe this is going to be his last term. So he's going to have to pass the baton. Yeah. But uh, for the for 2024. Another... Well, but still, you know, it, it's not clear uh, who in CD8 would have would be able to, like, pick up from him or who they would want. Or if there's anyone really down there who would, like, want to challenge. I feel there's yeah. plenty of time to find those candidates. But yeah. right now, like CD8's a little bit sleepy and it shouldn't be.
0: Correct. And it, it's going to be I mean, if history is anything to go by, most likely his chief of staff will end up being who they decide is. Uh, best qualified to run just because that's literally how city council has operated for decades but we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see how it all goes
1: yep all right so uh all the even races uh are getting decided this year and then uh in two years look forward to all of the odd races yes. one of the really interesting things is this is the first time I think ever or at least in modern history where or at least in modern history where la's local elections Following the same date as a federal election because yeah. we just did the realignment. But that's also <laughs> the reason that, like, our buddy uh, Mitch O'Farrell and Eric Garcetti all got an extra year in their seats Correct. because of the last off-year election. So they're able to stick around until uh, 2022, even though they should have been done in 2021 because yes. of this realignment. So a- an extra year of Mitch. Uh, yeah. Eh, but yeah, yeah it's going to – this is <laughs> fundamentally going to reshape the way that local politics is done here though because like Eric Garcetti, it was like 13, 14 percent turnout when he won the mayorship in 2017. Yes. I think like – and he won like pretty handily. But oh, yeah. even, even based on his like 60 or 70 percent win, that's only like 8 percent of LA that um, showed yeah. up to vote for yeah. him. So not like, exactly a mandate. Yeah. I mean, don't tell him that, you know, <laughs> Casey Wasserman, like said, good boy. And Eric felt really good about his win. But so that stuff's going to change, uh, assuming people make it that far down the ballot, um, you know, which oh, is God, something the ballots yeah, are gonna be huge. It's going to be a huge ballot. Uh, and we'll be talking a little bit later about a race that's really going to make it even more confusing. But uh, let's talk, <laughs> but let's, not not for most of yeah, well, Most
0: of the city of LA doesn't have to worry about yeah. this, but it is going to be really, really confusing for the people up at the uh, at the northwest end of the valley.
1: Yeah. Uh, but anyways, let's let's talk about uh, what's going on with some NIMBYs in Venice, because yeah. uh, they were angry about some exemptions from CEQA laws, and they filed some lawsuits, and then the state legislature kind of shut that all down.
0: <laughs> Very much so. So back in May of 2018, two groups, one of them named Oxford Triangle Association and another called Fight Back Venice, exclamation point, brought a CEQA lawsuit against the city over two ordinances, arguing that the city had failed to account for the environmental impacts when it approved these local laws laws. Uh, now the California legislature, this is actually like uh, over the course of the last year, the California legislature uh, exempted the city of Los Angeles uh, fr- and those ordinance f- from uh, being able to be challenged by CEQA.
1: But th- this is basically to allow the building of uh, bridge housing Correct. and shelter housing. It yes. basically says those projects don't have to undergo as much CEQA review cool. yeah. as like a private developer. And then like the NIMBYs in Venice were like, how dare you try <laughs> and build a homeless shelter instead of another million dollar condo? complex yeah so uh yeah i'm not sorry they lost
0: (laughs) no so this is uh specifically the the piece of state legislation is ab 1197 which we've discussed in the past yeah uh and it came out of miguel santiago's office at the start of the year uh seemingly an explicit reaction to these lawsuits um and it was signed into law back at the end of september uh the bill grants uh a broad CEQA exemptions for supportive housing and emergency shelters, specifically in the city of Los Angeles and only in the city of Los Angeles, all the way through January 2025. Um, it is worth pointing out that this bill, because it was targeted just at the city of LA and it is doing... Uh, what literally everyone in the legislature saw as a win-win-win a, a situation. It passed unanimously through both houses. Uh, so that doesn't happen that often. And when it does, it, it, it does not bode well for anyone who's going to try to challenge it, but we'll get to yeah. that later. Uh, Emily Alpert Reyes uh, wrote in the LA Times last week that, quote, the Venice group denounced the bill as a blatant attempt to kill its lawsuit, and it looks like it will. At a Thursday hearing, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge concluded the state had rendered the lawsuit moot. Judge James C. Chalfant granted a motion by the city to dismiss the case, rejecting arguments by Fedback Venice that the new law passed in Sacramento was unconstitutional. So while these two city ordinances meant to ease the approval of supportive housing and motel conversion, uh, they've been in effect for, you know, uh, I think over a year at this point. Yeah. The threat that these lawsuits uh, posed – Uh, really has up to this point stifled any real development that would have taken advantage of them. So Tommy Newman, who is the director of impact initiatives for United Way of Greater Los Angeles, which is one of the leading voices for building new supportive housing through their Everyone In campaign, told the LA Times that, quote, the risks associated with taking advantage of the laws were too high for the majority of developers who were building supportive housing, end quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, Christian Reed, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that last name, W-R-E DE, who is a member of Fight Back Venice exclamation point, said in an email to the LA Times last week that, quote, city officials knew full well that they were going to lose this lawsuit. So they got their friends in Sacramento to write the law after the fact. It doesn't get much shadier or much stinkier than that. I mean, the the one that's
1: (laughs) the thing that's kind of weird for me on this one is like the charge that it's shady and stinky coming from a bunch of like NIMBY groups who like, you know, apoplectically yell at Mike Bonin and Eric Garcetti when they're like, We'd like to we'd like people to not die on the streets of Venice. Yeah. But like the other thing is when they're like, oh this is shady and stinky and you're like no, but there's no, like, allegations of, like, payoff or no. corruption. It's literally just, like, the city of L.A. is like, we need to build shelter. And we need and to build And these people are trying to stop us. Yeah. And the state assembly is like, oh, we can fix that yeah. because we make the laws. Yeah. So let us do that. And they're like, the democratic process worked as intended. How shady is that? Yeah. And I think it says a lot about the way that, like, <laughs> Fight Back Venice and these groups just want to approach civil society. On, man. It's got an exclamation point in it. Don't forget that. It's amazing. It's just sort of like when there is due process – they don't seem to get it or understand it. Like, arguing that that law is unconstitutional, and it's like, because you don't like it? Like, there's, eh... It's also one of these where, like, if they had been better negotiators and, like, come to the table willing to work with the city to build shelter and bridge that's housing, we wouldn't effing be that's here. That's not what they're Like, about. if we didn't have Doug Haynes and the La Mirada Neighborhood Association, like, <laughs> suing to stop every building for their own, like, greenwashing greed, like, we wouldn't be in the situation. And I – like, this is the thing about Sequel that, like, maddens me is, like, I really like it and oh, I feel yeah, like yeah. we need a lot of it and it does good things to protect California. Yeah. But at the same time, allowing – like leaving the safety valve for the system as civil lawsuits by rich people who can afford to file them yeah, just short circuits everything. Absolutely does. And I know there's been some work like the greenwashing has basically been undone by other state law changes, but it took them a decade and a half. You know, Doug Haynes has pocketed untold hundreds of thousands, if not a couple million dollars, yeah. just by like sending angry letters and having a lawyer show up. The dude doesn't even have an email address. Like you can't even angrily email him. <laughs> Ah, sorry, yeah, I, I just went off on that tangent, but these uh, no. ending the sequa abuse is kind of like super necessary. At the same time, we can't let that be something that allows more uh, uh, luxury and market rate development Correct. to get passed. Yeah. Like, it's got to be narrow and it's got to be something we're working on a little bit better because, yeah. like, so the state's finally addressing it. Yeah,
0: and, that, and that's really what AB 1197 explicitly does. It only permits uh, the construction of, uh, you know, actually useful. Uh, supportive and and shelter housing. So uh, Garcetti, on the same day uh, as the court decision, released a statement defending his his sponsoring of AB eleven ninety seven because quote we can't let frivolous lawsuits stand in the way of the housing we need to confront our homelessness crisis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Garcetti, good job. You are correct. Thank you. Uh, do more of this, please, rather than traveling around being. Uh, Mr. Celebrity well, Mayor.
1: Well, and also, like, one of the... This is only half the problem, because the other half the problem is in order to get <laughs> yeah. this housing built, like, council has to sign off yes. on it, and they don't seem to like to do that, and when nope. they do do it, it's, like, half steps and compromise. Yep. So it's, you know... I saw a story about Jameson, uh, the folks that we talked about during the, the uh, fight for the shelter in K- Koreatown. Yeah. Uh, they're putting up a massive new building with, like, seven stories of parking or something, like, thousands of parking spots, and, like, those folks are also a danger to our building shelters and affordable housing because yeah. like they want a profit.
0: So absolutely. So one one quick thing worth pointing out here is that the lawsuit is not a hundred percent done because uh, Judge Talfrant did leave the door open for fight back Venice exclamation point to present any additional evidence in a motion to reconsider ahead of a January hearing. But it does seem unlikely that they are going to be getting far on that. Um, but w- w- before we before we, we're going to get into the, the loss of stuff, but I want to talk briefly in relation to this fight in Venice in particular and the you know the roadblocks that we keep seeing in city council. Uh, one thing that did come up this past week on, uh, on Tuesday you <laughs> Uh, there was discussion of Herb Wesson's council file 19-1362 relative to, quote, restricting the use of city-owned land identified for housing purposes to develop or to housing development that is 100% affordable, end quote. Councilman Mike Bonin from CD11 suggested that the city should consider a social housing model for that development. Um, so it's not quite clear exactly what that means. This is, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're we're getting wind of this through Twitter because we were not at City council for that discussion. Um, but there's uh, apparently going to be a motion coming out from Bonin on this issue sometime in January. And when people start talking about social housing, uh, my ears perk up real good and yep. I get very excited because uh, if you get deeply involved in you know housing development uh, theory and, and looking at the history of it. Social housing, specifically along the lines of what they used in Vienna during the uh, era that's known as the Red Vienna um, period, that idea is is quintessential to like how you fix yeah. the housing crisis by basically decommodifying housing because uh, it's something like almost two thirds of the people that live in the city of Vienna live in housing that is considered to be social housing, which is owned by the city of Vienna, city of Vienna is your landlord, but you're paying just the cost of like the upkeep and the amortization of the construction and land purchases yeah. because the city doesn't care about making a profit on it. They offer this housing as a public good, which is yeah. what we need to be doing if we're going to actually get ourselves out of this housing crisis. That well, we and it's have, it's
1: also um, yeah. pay what you can. Yeah. So it's, it's oh, linked yeah, yeah. to your income. So like you can have similar units and two different families that are earning different income Absolutely. levels and they're paying what's appropriate for them to- be paying there which makes a lot of sense and people who are paying more aren't super resentful about it because a they're not paying that much more and b they like understand the investment in the community it's going to be interesting here though because in order to build that type of housing we still have to do away with article 34 and that (sighs) repeal got turned into a two-year bill Uh, and then it's still and then it still has to go to the ballot before we can repeal it so all scott weiner is doing is like trying to get the motion through to put the repeal of Article 34 on the ballot. But until that happens, any low-income housing built in the state of California has to go up for a vote in its, like, locality or municipality, which, like, if you want to put up social housing in Venice, oh, my Buddha, the fight back Venice people would be like, no, we can't have poor people living here. This is Dogtown, and it's always been called Dogtown because it's the (laughs) nicest part of L.A. So honestly, though, uh, that does beg an
0: interesting question of – uh, due to Article Thirty Four, would the people in Venice be the ones who get to choose whether or not so the you know public housing goes up in Venice, or would the city of LA get to choose? Because I it's honestly don't know. City, yeah, yeah. I, this is this yeah. is some interesting stuff. I think that it would actually be the city would get to vote on it. So then I don't we could know. I could, see, out, it. I could see
1: it as a council district thing.
0: It, I mean, just yeah. based on the way that la city council operates i i'm inclined to agree with you yeah but when it comes to like the strict letter of the law what's the requirement under article 34 i believe that it comes down to municipality
1: all right so uh anyway i mean even then the fight back venice people would still oh, be spending gonna... so much money yeah. against it but yeah let's let's move on and talk about uh, a L.A.S.O., which is the uh government agency that deals with like housing and homelessness and delivering services to people who are living on the street uh they have been going through an interesting time the last couple of years when on a massive hiring binge are beginning to open up some Uh, Kind of satellite offices around the city, so they're not all operating out of downtown and they're close to the the communities they're Mm -hmm. serving. Uh, But big shuffle of the deck at the top. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, so we mentioned this last week, but we didn't really go into any detail on it. But after five years on the job, the head of LASA, Peter Lynn, is stepping down at the end of this month. Uh, The chief program officer, Heidi Marston, is going to be stepping in to fill in as the interim director during a national search for a replacement when Lin officially steps down, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where they end up going with that. Um, for a little bit of background, Lin actually had been, prior to being the head of Lhasa, he had been the main administrator for the Section Eight branch uh, within Lhasa. So. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see if they decide to pull somebody from within the ranks to step up and and take control of this organization, or if they really are doing a full national search and find someone from some other city. I I really don't have any idea what they're going to be doing on that end. Um, But in an interview at the end of November, Lynn told reporters that, quote, boy, these have felt like some long five years. I mean, I have really enjoyed this this role and this gig, and I have also felt quite a lot of wear and tear from it, end quote, which is understandable. So um, also for anyone who, who wasn't aware, and I, I actually was not aware of this up until reading through this article uh, on the announcement. Um, but back in August, uh, Lynn was in a serious car accident that left him with a debilitating concussion. And he actually had to take two months of medical leave as a result. Um, and during that time away from the job, it really it gave him an opportunity to take a look at what was going on from a fresh perspective, apparently. And he decided that it was time to step down. Yeah, um, as for That makes sense. I totally understand that. I mean, uh, any kind of like a traumatic brain injury uh, like a serious debilitating concussion is going to leave you in in a, in a very weird headspace for a long time, if not permanently.
1: Well, and there was a lot of folks when this announcement first came out, and uh-huh. a lot of folks not very familiar with L.A., like more national media commentators yeah. uh, who assumed that this was because of the failure of LASA, like the fact that our point in time count <sighs> jumped a lot. And I think like – this is a good reason, good time to point out that Lynn, for the most part, has gotten really high marks, not just yeah. from city officials, but from like people in in um, the nonprofit space. Activists absolutely. have been a little bit like not sold on him, which that's kind of just how those relationships go. Yes, absolutely, but for the most part, he was seen as like doing what he could do and like making the best of a bad situation, especially when Lhasa is so incredibly underfunded yeah. compared to things like the L.A. County Sheriff's Office and yeah. the, and LAPD. Like yeah. they're not a multi-billion-dollar agency. But that's what it would take to actually solve this crisis.
0: Absolutely. And it's also worth pointing out that, like, in the homeless count figures, uh, they've shown year on year that LASA has gotten significantly better at providing outreach and of actually getting people out of homelessness. The problem is that it is – what what they're doing as much of a of a of an improvement as they are showing year on year it's just that the problem keeps getting worse faster than they're getting better yeah. and so when you're you know turning around something like 20 or 30,000 people that they were able to rehouse yeah. and you see an additional 5,000 beyond that ending up on the streets over the like a 6-month period or something like that it's insane to to try to be like okay well we're stemming the tide but at the same time the tide is uh, getting stronger. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: and it's it's something also where like LASA is just there to th- deliver services and sort of like triage. Ab- yeah. They're not able to prevent somebody from becoming homeless. Absolutely. And hopefully city council is going to begin to change that and we can look into like helping folks who are going through a job loss or a life transition like yeah. subsidize their rent. Absolutely. Uh, not be evicted immediately. Like, do whatever it takes to keep a roof over someone's head because that's the biggest battle is like Absolutely. we solve this by not letting people end up on the street. So what's what's uh, Peter Lynn going to be getting up to after this?
0: Uh, so what it, what the L.A. Times was saying was, quote, uh, Lynn said his he plans to stay in the homeless field, but would like to be involved in initiatives that he sees as crucial, but beyond the scope of the agency, among them mental illness and substance abuse treatment, as well as reentry programs. Quote, I think America in general provides really poor funding for mental health substance use uh, treatment, he said. And I will say people are really suffering for that. End quote. He said he also plans to advocate for new housing uh, models to address affordability, which, uh, frankly, that, that yeah. he, he's he's fighting the good fight and continuing to do that. And that's oh, wonderful to see somebody with his credentials continuing to do that and, and, and bring that kind of. Uh, a track record that he has of actually, you know, by the metrics being pretty damn successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just the this again, the the lack of funding and the scale of the problem just didn't match up. And that falls squarely on the shoulders of the folks in City Hall and the County Board of Supervisors. Uh, and yeah, it's it,
1: going to be very telling. uh, uh it's going to like city council is going to really have to telegraph their plans during this like talent search, Yeah, like who they're looking for, what they want to prioritize. So things to look out for, if you want to keep track of this sort of thing is like, if they're looking for someone who is able to like maximize budgets and able to, to increase efficiencies, that means they don't want to spend more money. And what they really need to be looking for is somebody who wants to take on ambitious new plans to really experiment and like is willing to push the envelope on what we're spending here because We don't spend nearly enough money on this. No. Three people a day are dying on the streets of L.A. Yeah. And we're going to keep saying that statistic until it's no longer true because it is so soul-crushingly consistent.
0: It it absolutely is. And and just touching really quickly based off of those um, comments that you were making earlier, Bushido, the reality is that the city just needs to be taking some seriously new approaches on this stuff because – When if the city is not going to be allocating a significant amount of more money, they need to figure out how to better spend that money. And the most cost effective way of addressing homelessness is to stop people from losing their homes through evictions or through, uh, you know, a loss of a job or anything like that. Like if we do if we extend the eviction moratorium that they put in place prior to AB uh, 1482 coming in, the. That, that would have long-reaching consequences to meaningfully impact people in the city of L.A. and and help to, you know, actually draw down that tide of people becoming homeless. And those are the kinds of steps that it, it doesn't cost that much. It's a bit of – it's a more of a headache to try to figure out how to, like, actually address that. Yeah. But – When it comes down to it dollar for dollar, it's so much more cost effective and so much less traumatizing on the individuals and on society to stop people before they get evicted rather than waiting until they've been living on the streets for six months, a year, two years, and then they're labeled as chronically homeless. And then being like, okay, well now, now that they're in like really fucking dire circumstances, now we can step in. It's like that just the priorities and the way that we've been going about dealing with this What's, crisis for decades is just fundamentally it's, fucked
1: it's just very weird that we like means test being in oh, you know God, like crisis damn it. Yeah. like you haven't you haven't been almost dying on the street for long enough just You're, survive just, for six more months and then we can do something but also remember this is against the background of Trump appointing a new like homelessness czar type person who literally thinks that we should lock people up in concentration camps and that giving people free food encourages them to be lazy and, like, all of the worst things that you can have in somebody working in that space is embodied in Trump's new uh, head of homelessness and stuff and he's coming for L.A. Like, he's already said he, he wants to come fix L.A. and if... Folks like Andy Bales, or any you know indication and of, Thomas. yeah, if that's any indication of how they'll be greeted, uh, yeah, you know, um, it, yeah, I I don't know. Like I was I was we're riding gonna... the expo at one point, I was, and this was a, a year or so ago. But I was talking to these folks who were just like on the road traveling, and one of mm-hmm. them was like, "Yeah, I don't go to Nevada. They've shut down all these WalMarts, and they're using them as like camps." And I know my buddy escaped from it. And I was like, "I think you're oh. wrong about that. Like I don't think oh. they're using closed WalMarts as." Like, concentration camps for the, the unhoused yet. Uh-huh. But, like, from where I sit now, I'm like, but they totally could do that. Yeah. Like, these the folks that run our national, like, narrative on this are just ghoulish enough to do that. So, uh, yeah, this will be fun. Uh, and uh, defend your unhoused neighbors uh, because yeah, they're super vulnerable and they need your help. So, uh, let's move on. Uh, to uh, touch back on a story that we covered uh, a little bit earlier this year about a Revcom protest that kind of like required like I kind of went off on Revcom and it wasn't like my most coherent thing, but I don't like Revcom. Um, and I'm not gonna go over all the reasons again like they're just they're terrible. Um, and so they staged a protest out at the Santa Monica Pier and Santa Monica Beach where they you know spelled out resist fascism and the resist fascism resist Trump resist Pence campaign that's all a revcam Revcom campaign. Yep. Um, and it's it's a little bit weird because it gets a lot of media pickup, but I don't think it gets a lot of actual pickup in organizing and activist spaces. No,
0: they they never have more than like thirty or sixty people yeah. out, and they're all. But they
1: yeah, and they all they they only really run together. But I was gonna say they are good at attracting the opposition, and there have oh, been yeah. several fights. Fourth of July, there was like a fight over some burned flags, and one of the Revcom leaders got arrested, and. They really And there was also out in Beverly Hills at the Trump fundraiser. RevCom yeah. got in another fist fight with some Trump also guys. down so. at the
0: Wilshire Grand Hotel in yep.
1: downtown. And so uh, this flashes back to their protest at the Santa Monica Pier yeah. where another fight erupted. Surprisingly. Surprisingly, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, let's go through the details real
0: quick. <laughs> no problem. So back on October 19th at the Santa Monica Pier, as we mentioned, two men allegedly sprayed some anti-Trump protesters, most of them from RevCom, uh, with bear repellent. Uh, one of the suspects was 32-year-old David Nichols Dempsey of Sherman Oaks, who was arrested at the scene. The second man, uh, they couldn't really pin it on anybody for a long while.
1: Yeah, there was some YouTube videos that came out that tried to identify him and, like, showed who he was. And oh, showed a yeah, video yeah. of him, like, spraying it, and uh-huh. they were able to be like, this guy did it too. I guess it took them a while to figure out who he was and where he lived.
0: Yeah, so it turns out that that guy is uh, Joseph Krongchana, 43, of San Gabriel, who was taken into custody December 6th after Santa Monica police raided his home and found canisters similar to those used in the October attack. Rule number one, if you attack people with bear repellent, uh, do not hold on to the canisters and leave yourself with incriminating evidence, you absolute moron. (sighs) <sighs> yeah. So anyway, Dempsey and uh, Krongchana were allegedly part of a group of several dozen pro Trump demonstrators who confronted the anti-Trump protesters and they sparked a physical uh shoving match which resulted in the spraying of the bear repellent. So yeah. uh Krongchana, Krongchana sorry is going to be is has been processed on a single count of uh I believe it's whole, of possession of uh of tear gas.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially. I mean, and I guess they might come back and charge him with, like, using it on people because that's yeah. generally also a crime. But it could be harder to prove in this case. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's I, I, this is just one of those things where, like, you know, having protests that result in fistfights rarely, like, help or do anything. And I don't mean to say that that's all – like – using violence in a defensive way is always bad, like Charlottesville when people were guarding Emancipation Park, like, that's good. That's a good use of physical force. Uh, Going out to Santa Monica Pier and pissing off a bunch of MAGA hats and then, like, having uh, essentially, like, a Little League brawl on the pier, that's bad. That doesn't help anyone. That's not defensive or useful violence. Um, And it's it's one where I think Revcom necessarily wants that kind of antagonism and they want that sort of physical confrontation because, like, they do want to, like do the big revolution, yeah, overthrow the federal government revolution. sort of thing. And uh, it, it's a little bit frightening because when you meet them, you're like, well, that that's incompetent. Um, yeah. You know, I always like I had a friend who who pointed out at one point, um, you know, apocalypse fantasies are all necessarily ableist. And I think it's correct because, like, for me, you know, two weeks after your Glorious Revolution, like, where am I getting my insulin? Yeah. You know, that's one reason I'm not a big fan of like hey, let's aim to burn the whole system down and, like, upend everything in, like, a night because generally that works out really poorly for people who are, like, vulnerable. And there's, like, smarter ways to do that. But with RevCom, it's this weird idea of class consciousness and that we have to immediately... Uh, destroy these systems by whatever means necessary and just install our new better system. And I mean, that just... With, of course,
0: like, Bob at the head of it because yeah, it's it just, it, definitely it, not
1: a cult. It just strikes me as reactionary idiocy and nothing about it is like solidarity or useful. But uh, another thing that strikes me <laughs> as, as rank idiocy... Uh, this time in electoral politics. So we we were Bernie! teasing. No, we were ter- yeah, we were we were uh, teasing this one at the top. Uh, California's congressional district twenty five is a shit show. So after being <laughs> chased yes, out of is. Congress by her revenge porn releasing shitty soon to be ex husband, Katie Hill's seat is now up for a special election and a regular election. Uh, So this is going to run in a really weird way. On March 3rd, there are going to be two primaries for the seat. Correct. One for the special election. Correct. One for the general. Cool. This is going to confuse— One for the regular. Yeah. Sorry. Well, one for the regular and one for the special. Yeah. Uh, This is going to confuse the hell out of people because they're essentially going to be voting on very similar lists of names. Yeah. But it's not clear exactly who. Like, I I know Christy Smith has qualified for both ballots. Okay. Um, There's—I don't know about George Papadopoulos. I don't know about Mike Cernovich. they said they were going to run. I don't think they're actually doing that. Uh, but Chank fucking Wegar is running, even though nobody asked Chank fucking Wegar to run in the district. And in no. fact, they actively don't want him to, and his staff is being assholes to everyone. And like... I don't know. Like, Christy Smith is not a perfect candidate. Like, I'm not going to defend everything she's done. But I know from knocking doors up there that people will fucking vote for her. They yes. like her. They want to vote for her. They voted for her to go to the assembly. They want her to take Katie Hill's seat. Like
0: across... Katie Hill wants her to take Katie yeah, Hill's and, seat.
1: And this isn't just like in Rich Porter Ranch. This is for pretty much all of CA25. Like, yeah. people understand who this woman is and they want her to represent them. Chank has raised a shit ton of money being an absolute blowhard. He has just parachuted into a district and said, hey, I'm running here now, and you just have to accept that. He may cost us a fucking seat because Steve Knight is also running. So, like, anyways, so what's going to happen after that March 3rd primary where there's two primaries? The special election is then going to go to a runoff on May 12th to determine who fulfills the rest of Katie Hill's seat. So whoever wins on May 12th starts serving in in Congress, like, May 13th up until – December 31st, 2020. Whoever wins the regular primary, whoever ends up in the top two because it is a partisan race. So yes. crossing the 50% threshold on the regular primary doesn't get you Correct. all the way there. You still have to run in November. And whoever wins the November election is going to serve 2021 to 2023. Yep. This is so weird. Uh, especially because the special primary, you only need 50% to close it out, Correct. and then there is no May 12th election. Correct. And uh, yeah, this has all just been an absolute fuster cluck. And let's talk about what Bernie did to make me even matter, Chris, after <laughs> I've gotten myself worked up. Uh, yeah, so
0: last night, uh, news came out that Bernie Sanders had endorsed junk for Congress, saying God that his fucking is, damn it. Quote. A voice that we desperately need in Congress to fill the seat of former Rep
1: KD. No, we don't. Nobody wants that voice. He's uh, already got a platform. He can stay on his fucking shitty privately owned channel on YouTube and, like, make shitty comments about women and, like, call for Mumia to to be uh, executed and, like, use the N-word and do all the other shitty stuff that they've done on TYT. The L.A. Times published an article today by, like, one of my new journalistic heroes. Uh, what was his <laughs> name? Uh, Finnegan? I, yeah, I yeah. Oh, so. God, I'll, I'll look it up later. But anyways, the, the guy who wrote this uh, just laid into Chank's history. And it's so bad, especially in light of, like, why this election is happening and, like, why Katie Hill is not in Congress. So, like, having Chank Wegar who, like, rates women's bodies on his YouTube channel about news and, like— engages in all sorts of very weird shaming and, like, very strange reactionary politics all the time. Not even to mention, like, the Armenian Genocide link. Like, the Young Turks were a violent militia that, like, hunted Armenians to death. And Cenk decided to use that. In 2016, he finally said, oh, okay, I sort of kind of believe that the Armenian Genocide maybe kind of happened. Not really the full-throated support of, like... Uh, genocide survivors that you really want to see, but I guess we take what we can get. But yeah. so, Chang's now sitting on a big pool of money, like a half million dollars or so that he's raised from everyone out of state. He's running on his own fucking brand, mm-hmm. and if Steve Knight ends up back in that seat, that means Chang effectively erased like five years of fucking organizing to get rid of that guy. Like, from when Aliso Canyon first ruptured to the time that we got him out of office was four fucking years, and yeah. it took so much work, and if he gets to go back to Congress because with Trump genocide. as president... Holy fuck, Chank. Ah! Yeah. Drop out and make TYT a worker-owned co-op challenge 2020. Do it. (laughs) Uh, Yes, seconded. Um.
0: Yeah, so I think that's pretty much yeah. all we've got right now. So. But I will
1: I will say before we like close this out, yeah. if you are interested in making sure we do have good representation up in CD12 yeah. and C- CD25, go up and knock doors for Lorraine and Christy Smith. They are campaigning together, like not for the same office, yeah. but they are basically working in parallel because they both understand what's going on in their district and want to make dark. positive change. Yep. Uh, I'm also going to say, you know, compared with like Steve Knight, a Christy Smith or a Katie Hill is still preferable. Like Absolutely. 100% still preferable to that literal fucking fascist Steve Knight. Oh my god, don't go back to the dark old days. But after seeing the Tory election, uh, I'm I, kind of it's, like it's, shit. You know what we have to do, Chris, is we have to get organized and we have to stay organized. And you have some ways we can do that. Yeah, exactly. So uh,
0: as always, there is going to be the Black Lives Matter weekly vigil happening on Wednesday at 211 West Temple downtown. As usual, this vigil will be starting at 4 and running until 6. Unfortunately, the Los Angeles Tenants Union's website is not working right now. So I do not have the specific dates for the upcoming meetings this coming week. But if you go to LATenantsUnion.org, Uh, you can find their calendar right up there and get all that information for yourself. And, of course— And they have been doing their
1: days of rage leading up until the end of the year. So, like, if you want to, like, throw down for some landlords, you want to do some direct actions— against some landlords. Well, throw— (laughs) Throw down against them. Yeah. Whatever. Not Um, for them. Come on. Yeah. Well, basically, if you want to mix stuff up and make life harder for greedy developers and landlords, go rage out with LA Tenant Union. They've been doing some really great actions across the city. Uh, And it's very cathartic. You know, Like, your rent's too high? Yell at a guy who's greedy and charge you too much rent. Feels amazing.
0: No, it absolutely does. And then, of course, as always, you are more than welcome to come join us here at Ground Game L.A., We meet up every Thursday from uh, 7.30 until around 9 o'clock at 5617 Hollywood Boulevard, just a couple of blocks from the Hollywood Western Metro Station on the red line. Um, So as always, if y'all got any events that you want us to be publicizing, uh, taking part in, or generally to be made aware of, go ahead and send us a message through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or send an email over to podcast at groundgamela.org. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at groundgamela, at Bushido Squirrel, or at Christopher Roth, or on Instagram at groundgamela. And, of course, like and follow the Ground Game LA Facebook page for all of the live-streamed content from Actions Around the City, which we haven't been doing enough of lately, but we will get back into We'll be doing more of it. uh, As well as links from Knock. And, of course, you can read stories from our comrades and sometimes the two of us dabbling a bit over... Over at knock.la. If you'd like to read the sources that we're citing or quoting here for yourself, go ahead and check out the list of articles cited in the episode description on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you're listening to us rant and rave about local politics.
1: Well, uh, I'm just going to repeat what I just said. Yeah. Get organized, stay organized, come to ground game. It'll be fun.
0: It it bears repeating because shit's. Shit's bleak, yo.
1: Like last night, I had uh, bartenders at my company's party uh, where they weren't allowed to put out a tip jar. And so I, Fuck I that. talked marks with them and, and canvassed them for <laughs> Nithia. So be the revolution you want to yes. see in the world. Do Later, it. y'all.